Well, good morning again. It's good to see all of you here this morning, and I know there, there are some who are not here with us, who are here with us online, and we are glad that you're able to join as well, um, which, I mean, why are you here? You ever wonder that now and again? Why, why am I here? Why are we here? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful day. There are other places you could be, things, things that you could be doing. But maybe it's more than just today that, that uh, I'm, I'm not here, and I'm not here just because, uh, well, the, the church on the couch thing got a little tiresome after a while. Um, but we're here together, but there's more theology about why we are here, and not just why we are here in church today, although that'll fit into a little bit, but why am I here overall? Have you asked yourself those questions in terms of life's purpose and plan? I remember when I was just finishing high school, I had a plan. I was going to join the Air Force. That was my avoid college plan. Looking back over the years at the amount of tuition I've paid and credit hours earned, I didn't avoid anything. But that was my plan. I had an avoid college plan, which was join the Air Force. I was going to learn a, learn a technical skill. I was going to get some training, gain some experience. Then I would get out of the Air Force. And I'd get a good job, and I'd get paid, and I'd have money, and I would have success, and I would buy stuff. That was my plan. Seemed like a good one. But along the way, life happened. Along the way, I met Julie. That changed things a little bit, added some responsibility. Uh, I actually liked the Air Force, and, and yet I, I liked what God was doing with us while we were in the Air Force. Um, he moved us into a place where I became an electronics instructor, and I liked that. And then, then uh, um, we began to grow our family, our, our first child, our, our, our firstborn son, we named Nathan because, because the name means gift from God. And we, see God, we saw God's hand at work, and that uh, God planted us in, the, in, the, in this little church in Mississippi while I was stationed in the Air Force there, and God was growing us there. He was using us there. And it came to the point that we were going to just remain where God had planted us, had no plans then to get out and go anywhere until the Lord directed us out several years later to at about the time when I thought I was probably going to stay in the Air Force. I'd probably do that 20-year retirement thing. That sounds good too, doesn't it? And then the Lord directed us out of the Air Force to leave the security that I thought I had in the Air Force and to follow Him in missions. That questioning about why am I here? What am I supposed to do? I think of the young man who's standing as it were on tiptoes asking the question, why am I here? Trying to get up and to see beyond what's in front of him in the present to what does the future hold and what am I supposed to be doing? Whether it's in as far as college or whether it's vocation, my career, who am I supposed to marry? We want to know the future in the end forgetting that we walk through what is in order to get there. Why am I still here? Might be the question closer to you this morning. I think of some of our, some of our senior saints that, that have, have lived a full life before the Lord and learned to walk with Him and to know Him. And yet, at this point in life, they don't feel like there's much that they can 
do anymore. They're, 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 they're not able to contribute in the same ways that they used to. And they wonder, well, why am I still here? Lord, why, can I, why can't I go home and be with you? Or maybe the question for you this morning is, why am I here? In this particular circumstance, in this set of troubles, I had hoped for things to be different. Why am I here in this mess? Why did God lead me into this, or at least let this happen and come upon me? Lord, why am I here? Well, we're here this morning in Romans chapter 15. And Romans 15 includes uh, the closing exhortation, the closing call or challenge in this letter. It's, it's the last thing that Paul has the chance to write before he moves to the personal greetings. You know, the, uh, the uh, hi, how are you, the handshakes in the foyer on your way out of church. Uh, we're almost there. It's almost time for tea and cookies here. And so this is Paul's last chance. I used to see Romans 15 as sort of a, a um, jumbled collection of things he also wanted to say. And kind of pack that in. He almost starts to say goodbye, but then there's, there's something else that he also wants to touch on. And kind of just a jumbled last things collection. And, but I look a little bit differently now. I see Romans 15 as actually the capstone of this letter. I see everything else flowing toward this and what Paul says here. What he, in fact, commands, but also what he suggests, even by way of example. Everything else is moving to Paul's answer of why are we here? What are we supposed to be about? Let me just review where we have been in the book of Romans, just by way of a, a short outline that I've worked out for myself. Um, a few words for each of the first eight chapters. Romans is the gospel. For sinners, justified, chapter 3. By faith, for, in Christ, to new life, in this flesh, chapter 7, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God has been faithful, chapter 9, is being faithful and will be faithful to those whom he has chosen to extend his mercy to. So that we, in response, present ourselves living sacrifices, chapter 12, in this world, chapter 13, Serving one another rather than ourselves, chapter 14, on mission together, chapter 15. Now, if that outline works, even if we just take that 12, 13, 14, 15, living sacrifices in this world, serving one another on mission together, then that on mission together is actually the high point of that flow. And that's what Paul gives us here in Romans chapter 15. Why are we here? If I could answer the question right up front with my outline through chapter 14. If you've got the church bulletin for today, you'll find on the back that outline that will help you work through. Maybe there's some notes to take along the way. Why are we here? To follow Jesus 
in bringing God's mercy to others to grow his church in knowing and following Jesus. That's it. That's why we're here. You wondered. There it is. The long version, yielding to serve the needs of others in following Jesus because the gospel calls us to reach out to others so that the church continues to grow both spiritually and numerically. So he urges them to join in helping Christians to keep growing and to help the gospel keep going. That's why we're here. I want to follow that outline, that brief outline that I gave you, to follow Jesus and bringing God's mercy to grow his church in knowing and following Jesus in some of the key verses through chapter 15. We'll read as we go. Let's begin in verses 1 to 7. We are here to follow Jesus. Look at the first seven verses, Romans chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May, God, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of of God. We have an opportunity here, presented in those first couple of verses, an opportunity to live the mind of Christ to one another. That we don't please ourselves, but rather to please or to serve or to accommodate our neighbor for their good, for their building up. That we seek to build up one another to equip the saints for ministry together. We have an opportunity here in the mind of Christ to put others first in priority above ourselves. That sounds like a Philippians 2 challenge again. That God has given us a unity together, but that unity is not in conforming others to our own expectations. Haven't, haven't you thought that if everybody else could just see things my way, we could all get along. Has that played out in your family? Or in the church? If all of you could just get on the same page with me, we'd have unity together. Nobody agreed with that. Not because you were thinking, if everybody could just get on page with you, there's where we would have unity together. But unity does not come by conforming others into our expectations. And that is not the gospel. That, that conforming others to your expectations, like it or not, by the way, that's not gospel, that's cancel culture. Isn't it interesting today? We live in a whole new alternative reality where the, where the church is welcoming and the culture at large is judgmental. It's a wonderful place to be. I like this new normal. God's unity is found in receiving one another as they are 
in their differences. Paul's writing this, welcoming one another, accepting one another with people. He's just talked about the differences they have, some observing days, some not eating that. They come from different backgrounds. They come from different ethnic traditions, and yet they have a unity together that is in the gospel. I was told years ago that it's all level ground at the cross. No matter our differences, socioeconomically, background experiences, troubles and hardship or ease and, and prosperity. It's all level ground at the cross. And when we circle around there, we're all on the same basis. And we have opportunity to live in the same mind together. That's where unity is found. We're told to welcome and receive and accept one another. And I said this was about following Jesus. Where did I come up with that? Well, look at verse 2 again. Let each of us please or serve or accommodate his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it, was, as it is written. In verse 7, we're to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Knowing what it was that Jesus did for us is our pattern, is our basis, is our instruction of how we will live in him, how we will live out the mind of Christ toward one another and to others. We are not going our way enjoying the blessings of God's benefits, but we are Living this new life in Christ, which he has given us. We are the body of Christ, the presence of Christ, his ambassadors in this world. This life, which I now live in the flesh, Paul's going to write to the Galatians. Well, he actually, actually wrote it before this letter. This life, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's what the Christian life is. It, is. it is living out following Jesus. As Jesus did, did is the basis for what we are going to do. Where will I, where will you, let me put it that way, let me get personal. Where will you have the opportunity to welcome and accept one another? Well, here we are in church together, but you're just sitting six feet apart. Where will you have the opportunity to get involved in life, have disagreements, and yet continue as family together? Well, you do that in your own families, and whether you continue as family together or not, that doesn't always work in today's world. But one of the ways that we do that as church is in small groups, where we have opportunity to be life on life together. That we can have unity in essentials. We will give each other liberty in not essentials. We don't always have to agree on everything. We'll, we'll agree about our Lord together. We will agree about the cross together. We'll agree about forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. We will be gracious. We will in all things have charity or love one for another. A small group where you build relationships and have life-on-life -life interaction with others, that's, that's where that happens. That's one of the places we practice this. And you say, well, okay, but I, I'm okay. I know small groups are important. A lot of people need that, but I'm okay. I've got relationships. I've got, I've got places where I go, people that I'm with, so I, I really don't need to be in a small group. Maybe that's not the point at all. 
The thrust here isn't what you need, it's what others need. Maybe it's not at all a matter of, I don't need to be in a small group, but that others need you in their small group. Each of us, each of us need a place where we can practice building up one another, that we can practice looking to the needs of others rather than ourselves. And those smaller groups are one of the places where that happens. I would love for you to cause Pastor Evan a great problem this week. I would love it that if we use those communication cards and if so many of you that aren't connected in a small group of presence said, yeah, I need to be in a small group. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of welcoming one another, embracing one another. So that the, we, we don't have enough places in the groups that we have and the leaders that we have at present for all of you. And, and he's going to be juggling your request and he's going to be scrambling for leaders and new groups. And, and Evan's week is going to be busier than he imagined. That'd be wonderful. Would you help me? Would you help me ruin Pastor Evan's week? No, it would, it would bless his week and mind that we want to engage. We may not be able to deliver it all at once because of the lift, but we need to get there, that we all have that engagement together. If I'm going to be following Jesus, I need to be going where Jesus is going, right? That would make sense. If Jesus is going that way and I'm going this way following Jesus, I'm not following Jesus. I'm just going for a walk. So, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be going where Jesus is going. So it raises the question then, as we're following Jesus together, living out the mind of Christ together, what is the mind of Christ? Where is Jesus going? Well, verses 8 to 13, For I tell you that Christ became a servant, that we welcome one another as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God, because Christ became a servant First of all, to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Two things. First of all, did you notice that, that Christ came to be a servant to Israel? He came to be a servant to Israel in order that he would confirm the truthfulness of the promises. That God's truthfulness concerning all that he had said in the midst of a world where so much is up in the air and though the science is settled, there's so much we don't know. Did you hear about all the scientists that are out of work now? They're looking for new jobs. Maybe preaching, I don't know. But they're looking for new jobs other than science. Why? Because the science is settled. It's all done. We know all the answers. No. There are... Piles of stuff out there that are uncertain and are theories and that we don't know. But there are things that I can know. There are things that we do stand on. God's truthfulness has been confirmed by the coming of His Son from heaven into our humanity who died for us and then rose from the dead. We set our calendars by His coming. It's as if life on earth stopped and restarted, centered on his appearing. God's promise confirmed. God's truthfulness has been declared. God will be true, though every man be found a liar. We can count on him. But did you notice that Jesus did not come only for Israel? Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is not his last name, Jesus' first name. You had Joseph Christ. and No, Christ is his title. He is the king. He is the Messiah. And yet, that's a Jewish thing. Why do any of the rest of us care? That's exactly the point. It's a marvelous thing that God has done that the world cares about Israel. One people, and a relatively insignificant people on the, on the, in terms of the world as a whole. The Babylonians were a big deal. They're gone. The Assyrians were a huge deal in their day. They're gone. Israel we still focus on. And it's a marvelous thing that God has done in keeping his promises so that the nations around the world are longing for the coming of the Jewish Messiah. Israel would expect that. Israel would long for that, right? But what about the rest of us? That's what God has done. It's a marvelous thing that God has done, that the nations as a whole, even Rome, longs for the coming of the Jewish Messiah. How did that happen? Because Jesus comes to not only confirm the truthfulness of God, but he comes to extend God's mercy to others. Look at verses 9 and following. Well, we read Part of nine already. So the Gentiles, the nations, might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, there's a subtle um, change here from verse to verse, from each statement he makes. It's like we're going up a step at a time. We're going up the stairs here. First of all, he says, I will praise you among the, the, among the nations. There is a public Worship. There is a declaring who God is out in the open in front of others. That was Israel's privilege. Egypt saw it first, and the nations around him from there to declare in front of them, This is who God is. I will praise you among the nations. And again, it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. There is God's people as the inviter of others to come in and join in with us. Come with us and join in this worship. See what this is. This is Jesus gathering disciples and saying, come and see. Inviting others in. And then in verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. There is an urging for others to believe and join in worship. I love John Piper's statement that missions exist because worship does not. And the goal then of missions is worship. That around the world from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be worshipers of the one true and living God and his son, the Lamb, our Redeemer. Let all the nations extol him. There's an urging to believe. Did you see the transition? There is public praise before others. There's the inviting others to come and see what it is we celebrate, why, what, why we make this big deal about our God. There's the urging of others to also believe. And you know what? Verse 12 the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the, 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 to rule the nations. And upon him the Gentiles will 
hope. Did you catch that? It will happen. You can publicly praise your Savior before others. You can invite them to come and see what is this all about. You can urge somebody else to believe who does not because some of them will. The nations and this church at Rome of all places, the seat of the empire. In fact, within a couple hundred years, the emperor himself is going to declare himself to be a follower of Christ. And he's going to eliminate other forms of worship. He's going to eliminate the Roman emperor worship that reigns in this day. Rome is going to rally around Jerusalem's Messiah. Think of the marvelous thing that God has done in so keeping his promises that the nations long for Christ. That means that when you and I dare to, how, would, how will we praise him out in public? It's as simple as, as praising God. Gather your friend, go on a hike, and in the midst of that, not convincing them, not arguing with them, not debating creation science, but just declaring Wow, the wonders of God's creation. Praising him out in the open in front of others that they know who you believe in. It can move from there to, to, it it can be as simple as, as extending forgiveness to others. When you'd have a right to hold a grudge. You'd have a right to want some recompense. You'd have a right that they should correct this thing. But you will let it go. You will bear that loss. Because, well, I have to forgive because God has forgiven me so much. Let's not argue with anybody about anything. That's just your praise, your testimony. From there, it can, it can be, well, it can be faith in the midst of troubles. There, I don't know of a, of a stronger testimony. I've heard people say over and over, in the midst of troubles, and why am I here in this trouble? Well, sometimes it's that's where faith shines. And somebody else sees it and said, I need what you've got. I don't know what it is, but I need what you've got. The inviting them in, maybe it's just a thought-provoking question. Why do we need police? You can invite people in, in terms of a conversation. Yes, there is something. We could get rid of all the police, and that would not stop all the bad things from happening. I, I, I read for um, distraction, the Babylon Bee. It's a, it's a, it's a newspaper. It comes out of Babylon, I think. It's a satire site. And uh, they just made the mention about, wouldn't it be great if we could go back to the time when we didn't have guns? If there were only, we could get back to those peaceful days when humanity didn't have guns, and there were no wars, and there were no killings. Well, gun violence tells us something about human violence. And maybe, maybe the inviting others in can also be inviting others to think from circumstances and situations to people and humanity. What's wrong with us? What can be done about that? Urging others to believe. You don't have all the answers to questions people might have about the Bible. 
But you know this. You know how it is that a person can be in right relationship before God. You know how it is that a person can go almost like that from being afraid to stand in the presence of God to anticipating, looking forward to, standing in the presence of a loving God and Savior. It is simply by believing God, what He said about me and my need, my guilt, my shame, and what God has said about Jesus who took all of that from me upon himself in my place so that he would give me eternal life with God. That I can have a right standing with God because of what his son did for me. If, if I'll just say, thank you, God, I do believe you concerning Jesus. There's a lot I don't know about, the, uh, about what's in the Bible. There's many things you don't know theologically, biblically, but you know what it is that people most need. We can urge others to believe, and the promise in verse 12 is that some will. And you've already seen it on a global scale. And that's what God calls us into. Follow Jesus by bringing others his truth and his mercy so that we grow as his church. Look at verse 14 to 16. The Roman church was a good church, and yet it's a church that Paul says, you folks need to grow. You need to be perfected. You need to be sanctified more. Look at verse 14. I myself, he said, I'm satisfied about you. I'm hearing great things, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you boldly by way of a reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that, here's the purpose, that the offering of the nations may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, in a nutshell, God has done a great work among you, but he's not done yet. There's more to do. There's more shaping. There's more molding. There's more fine-tuning. There's rough edges to work on. There is more to be worked in you as a church, as a local body of believers, so that this offering of the nations who believe will be all the more well-pleasing to God, all the more sanctified and set apart for God's purposes. That's what he's telling them. That, that uh, there, there is more to do. The church needs to grow. How are they going to do that? So he says, I wrote to you boldly on some points. Cut to the chase. I wrote you this letter. I wrote you this letter that keeps pointing back to scriptures in the Old Testament. That Paul's not having them stand on what he's writing them as an apostle alone, but this is connecting back to the truth of God's word that they already have. All through this book, we keep going back to the Old Testament so that they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ that is founded in God's word. One of the things that we're committed to, one of the things that we expressed even more clearly and, and, and precisely in, in these last months as we've been working at what is most essential for us as a church, in times of a, of a slowdown for a church, we're able to refocus and, and uh, that we need to be 
equipping the saints here in this church, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That God has set us in this place for ministry, and we need to be equipped for that ministry. And one of the key elements of equipping the saints for ministry is growing together in God's truth, a biblical truth. We intend to be a church that is going to be growing up one another in biblical truth. That's why focus time in, in discipleship groups spends time in God's Word together. That's why we're going to have an adult curriculum that, that if, you're, if you've got three years, you'll be able to take classes that will work through the essentials of what's most needed to give you a grounding and a foundation that, that the faith as a, as a whole makes sense to you and you're able to represent that, you're able to share that with others. Because it is God's word that grows us. It's knowing God's truth, the indicatives, what it is that God has done for us, and then following that into the imperatives. We've seen that over and over again in verse 3. We don't please ourselves, but we serve our neighbors because that's what Jesus did. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for others. That we welcome one another in verse 7. Just as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. That, that as it is written over and over occurs here. These things that are written before are written for our instruction. So we need to know what it says. We need to know what God has told us. We need to be grounded in biblical truth. Because as Paul's going to tell the, the Ephesian elders... And, and, and just after he leaves Corinth there, he's going to be taking this gift from the Greek churches back to the poor Jewish churches and believers in Jerusalem. They've been ostracized from their communities. They're, they're in hard times. And the Gentile churches have helped them. They've provided support for them. As he's taking that gift, he's going to swing by Ephesus, and he's going to say farewell to that church. He doesn't expect to be back there. And so he says this, I commit you to God. And to the word of his grace, which that word of God's grace is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. God is doing his growing up work among us. God is doing his perfecting work among us, and he does it by his word. That's why we need to be in the word. I'm thrilled with our Awana ministry. We had in the first, in the first service, one of the young ladies from Awana, she was reciting verses that she had memorized for Awana. And so she did our scripture reading in the first service in Romans chapter 15. All of Romans 15. She didn't read Romans 15. She recited it from memory. After that, the reason she's not in the second service is because she was reciting the entire book of Romans from memory. Wow, yeah, yeah. You thought it was a big deal. You thought it was a burden to read through the book of Romans each week, didn't you? I thought, man, Bob, come on, that's a lot of reading. Yeah, and that's a lot of memorizing. But God's word is in her, and it's going to do his work. And for all of those that memorized a chunk of, of Romans 8 in Awana, for those that said, ah, we'll do the whole chapter, for those that said, we'll do more, they're taking God's word and they're planting it. It's they're planting it. And when they plant it in there and the Spirit of God waters it, it grows and it bears fruit and it does its work in us. That's why if you're in a, in a discipleship group, you've heard about here journaling. 
We have these things called HEAR journals in our discipleship groups. What's that about? Well, HEAR, H-E-A-R, is an, is an acronym. H is a highlighted verse, a particular verse that stood out to you in that reading today. And as you were reading, this verse caught your attention. Maybe it was some, some truth that you were just rejoicing in. Maybe it was something that you, a command that you need to practice. You need to follow in that. Maybe it confronted you. Maybe that verse convicted you. And when God's Word is speaking to you personally, you want to capture that. You don't always want to breeze by and forget it. And so you highlight that verse, first of all, and then you explain it. In this journal, you explain it within its context. What is this verse saying? How would the original audience, those who, for those who received this letter to Romans, how would they have understand that statement in the context here? Make sure I'm understanding it right. So... Uh, a little bit of explanation about it, a little bit of digging in, so that when I apply it, there's the A, the application becomes, becomes legitimate from the Word. I'm not just taking this out of my own head, but this is what God's Word has said, and this is a valid way that that looks like in my life. And then there's a response. There's an opportunity of commitment. What am I going to do in light of what God's Word has said and how it should be applied? What am I going to do with that? Because we grow as we receive and respond to God's Word. It's really as basic as that. The church needs to continue growing. That's why Paul's written this letter. We need to be following Jesus in getting God's truth and God's mercy to others so that the church continues to grow spiritually and so that the church continues to go to others who need the gospel. Look at verses 20 and 21. And so, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. And so he intends to go to Spain. He, he intends to get to Rome, to visit the church there, and even go on from there to Spain because there are people who yet need to hear the gospel. And Paul said, that's my deal. I go where the gospel hasn't yet gone. That's his purpose. That's, that's what, all his journeys so far, that's where he's going next because others need still to hear the gospel. Now, when Paul was on his journeys, there are places that he did not stop. There are places like Amphipolis and Apollonia, I think is how you pronounce that town. Two cities in between Philippi and Thessalonica that Paul stayed overnight at. There are stops on the highway, but he doesn't stay there. He doesn't preach in a synagogue there. He doesn't plant a church there. He plants one in Philippi, and then three days later, he plants one in Thessalonica. And they're going to go back and they're going to spread the gospel in the areas around them. The one is a one day's journey from Thessalonica. The other is a one day's journey from Philippi. And so those places are going to get covered and it's their responsibility to do it. So that there are places near at hand and far around the world. There are places that we send farther because the gospel needs to go. There are, there are families like the Lowens that are going ultimately to Saudi Arabia. There are ministries like Ray of Hope that have access by training local young pastors in India. They can go to and talk to people that you and I are never going to get 
the, the chance to go to or talk to. The, the Evans in, 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 in WEC International sending people around the world in church planning ministries. The Whartons in Tyre, Lebanon. The Coles in Jordan strengthening churches to reach out to refugees. There are places around the world that desperately need the gospel, and yet, here we are in Washington. Have you ever wondered in that question, why am I here, about why am I still here in Washington? Have you wondered about that a little bit? Have you, have you, have you seen the for sale signs in your neighborhood and been astounded at what houses like yours are now going for? Have you ever wondered, maybe now's the time to cash out and move somewhere else? You know, somewhere where maybe the world view is a little bit more closer to my perspective. You know, like Portland, maybe, downtown. <laughs> There's going to be some great real estate bargains in Portland. Or maybe, maybe from your perspective, your worldview, maybe you've thought about Idaho. Or that grand evangelical Mecca, Texas, right? Why am I still here in Washington, you might ask? Well, I was talking to somebody just in between the services about, about the, the difference in number of Bible-believing churches in this corner of the country, in the Pacific Northwest, compared to many other places in the country. And there is a genuine there is a need for genuine, loving, biblical ambassadors here, perhaps more than any place else within our United States. This is a place to be. I told you before that if you, if you want to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, well, if you start in Jerusalem, this is the ends of the earth. You don't get much further away. And God has set us here. Why has he set us here? To be ambassadors for the sake of the gospel. And yet there are some that need to be sent by us. And there, in, in both what we do here and where we send others, even as Paul is asking that they would send him on to Spain as well, he could have asked the Antioch church to do that. The Antioch church sent them to Galatia. The Antioch church sent him to Asia Minor. The Antioch church even helped them go on into Europe. Wouldn't they send them again? Maybe the church there at Antioch would send Paul and Silas, whoever goes with them, off to Spain as well. But Spain is beyond Rome. Spain is, to some extent, Rome's responsibility. God has grown up a church there. And if they are going to know and follow Jesus, they're going to do it by helping others to know and follow Jesus. There's a little text box in your bulletin. And it says that our purpose as a church is to know and follow Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. I feel so strongly about that statement that I would go so far as to say that if you are not helping others to know and follow Jesus, then you are not knowing and following Jesus. Because again, if you're following Jesus, you're going where he's going. Otherwise, we're going for a walk. Why am I here? I am here to follow Jesus. We are here to follow Jesus in bringing God's truth and mercy to others to grow his church by helping others to know and follow Jesus. Paul wants their church to go 
to, to do. Paul wants them to send him further where the gospel is needed. Paul's encouraging them as well to build up their church, to help other believers within the church. How do I know that? Where do I get that in these closing verses? He, he mentions to them, in the closing verses 22 to 27, he mentions to them that he has this work. They've taken a collection. The Greek churches have taken a collection for the saints in Jerusalem, Jewish Christians who have been ostracized, who have lost much in their society because of their faith in Jesus. But there are Jewish Christians. Now, now Paul could be saying that because he wants Rome to join in this collection for Jerusalem. But I don't think so. Because when Paul sends the letter from Corinth to Rome... By the time they would get it, he is already well on his way taking that offering which has been collected, it's been accounted, it's wrapped up and ready to be delivered. It's well on its way to Jerusalem already. That ministry opportunity has closed. But they have one in their own backyard. Because in the midst of these tensions between Jewish and Gentile believers within the church in Rome, there are many among the Jewish Christians who lost much when they were exiled out of Rome. They may have lost their business. They may have lost their livelihood. They may have lost their homes. And perhaps they were well off before, and now they're in hardship. But they, as Jewish Christians within the church at Rome, are something like those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that the other churches have helped and the believers in Rome can do the same thing right in their own backyard. You don't have to go around the world to be a missionary. Some do, but not all of us. God would intend to use us in helping others to know and follow Jesus right here, right within this church body and in this community where God has planted us. We are not merely beneficiaries of the blessings of the kingdom. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. We are here to follow Jesus in bringing God's truth and mercy to others, to grow his church by helping others to know, to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that this letter written to Rome, written for us, Lord, thank you that this letter is not merely many things we also need to know, but Father, it's an invitation to join in your mission, the purpose of your Son. Even as he called James and John, Peter and Andrew, Matthew, Nathaniel, even, even as he called these to follow him and to join his mission, you call us. Father, thank you for that. And so, Lord, would you help us today, especially this week, Father, where would we be that public, out in front of others, testimony? Father, give us an opportunity. Give us boldness and courage and words to say. 
just proclaiming our faith, our praise in you to be overheard by others. Father, is there somebody this week that I could invite to come and see, to know more, that I could come invite perhaps to just sit and talk, and, and talk over coffee about why, why I do believe the Bible, why I do believe in Jesus. Lord, is there someone that I could share my testimony with, my story, this week? They would understand my worship. Father, is there somebody that I've known, somebody that I have talked to, I've done these things, Lord, is there someone that I need to urge to believe in Jesus? Their eternity stands on it. And eternity can be very close. Lord, direct us this week to praise, to invite, to urge, knowing, Father, that some will believe in the unlikeliest of places. And that to your glory. Give us then, Lord, courage to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray.